Hi everyone, this is the Hearsay Podcast. My name is Saya and this is episode number 81. Today we have the lovely Missy Higgins on. Missy has just released a mini album called Total Control. I kept calling it an EP in the podcast, but it has six songs, so it's technically a mini album. I'm so sorry for getting it wrong over and over again. I could not get it into my brain that it's not an EP. Um, I also wanted to quickly clear up one other thing. I asked Missy a question about her activism and if she thinks it affects her audience or her audience size. And um, not once did I actually say, and I really wish I did, that I completely agree with her politics. And I'm so glad that she exists and speaks up about all these really important things. Um, Also, just a quick warning, there's a bit of swearing in this episode, so please avoid listening with kids who have not heard the C word before, or perhaps you don't want them to use the C word, and that's a fair enough thing. Um, Missy Strange show story, and boy is this one a doozy, was illustrated by my gorgeous and talented friend Charmaine Greenwood. As always, you can see all of the podcast illustrations on Instagram at Hearsay Podcast or on the Hearsay Facebook page. If you ever want to have a go at doing an illustration for one of my guests, please drop me a line. I'm always looking for people. And thank you so much to those of you who have contacted me. I am super excited that so many of you are keen and I will be in touch. I hope everyone's keeping safe out there. Here is episode number 81 with Missy Higgins. Hey, thank you so much for doing my podcast. It's so lovely to see you. No worries. Sorry, I'm just finishing my dose. This will be triggering to yeah. some. <laughs> Are you one of the people that hate chewing noises? Um, no, but Alana Stone really hates them. And I think someone else in um, all our exes. Yeah, Hannah. Hannah, that's right. Yeah. And so Alana said to me one day, she's like, you know, Hannah really cannot stand anyone like eating into the microphone. And I, I kind of don't really like it either. And so ever since then, I, every rehearsal, I get an apple and I eat it right into the microphone and I do this. Oh, yeah. That's with my good. tea. I'll do and, it as um, well. Yeah. <laughs> I have no problem with it whatsoever. I don't know why. Certain things I'm freaked out about, like wooden cutlery and um, oh i've got wood thing as well really you don't like like the icy cutlery? pole sticks icy pole sticks oh oh it's almost to the point that it's a phobia i'm like oh yeah God, look at it oh. me too really it's like if i'm gonna have an ice cream i'll get one without a stick yeah it's just that it shouldn't go on your tongue that that nah nah that texture splintery and ugh. yes and then it also transfers to yeah cooking utensils or yeah. um wooden cutlery or... I'm really torn because I'm like when they people give me wooden cutlery at shops I'm like I know that this is really good for the environment <laughs> and I'm very happy that you've provided me this instead of plastic but oh my god I don't think I can eat with this me too I've never met another person that has that that's so funny <laughs> yeah I used to have these like um flashes of you know licking a wooden 
fence, like a really splintery wooden oh. fence. And just, you know, like sometimes you imagine just the worst thing possible that someone would force you to do. Yes. And for me, it was being forced to lick a wooden fence. Um, yeah, I get goosebumps just thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> I know. My other thing is tooth, um, toothpaste in people's mouths when they're talking. And that kind of slightly gaggy sound, you know, like, oh, God, I cannot stand that. If someone tries to talk to me when they're brushing the teeth, I'm like, just spit, just spit first before you talk. Please, please just spit. I can't do, just can't do that. One of my friends once told me that um, a boy pashed her while she was brushing her teeth. Oh, God. (laughs) Just her her telling me that made me want to vomit. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. How could he do that? Oh, God. I can't even think about that. Um, But hey, um, phobias aside, Mm. you have an EP coming out. It's a Um, mini album, actually, officially. It's a mini album. If it's six six tracks or more, you can officially call it an album. So that's what we're doing. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. It's been a little while. It has, yeah. I I don't think I would have released anything if I hadn't been given the opportunity to write for this TV show. So all the songs are in, well, initially they were written for this ABC drama called Total Control, which has Deborah Mailman in it as the lead. And um, I wrote a whole heap of songs for the first season and the second season. And then they were just really great little, you know, snippets of songs. And my manager was like, what do you think that you could expand them to make them full songs? And I was like, yeah, that would be a fun project. So... Um, I guess initially they started out being primarily about the show and what was going on and the lead character who's really amazing. Um, but then I expanded them to be about myself and I guess what I'm seeing in the world and the political climate with especially Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins and all these women kind of standing yeah. up against oppression and calling out these old white dudes in parliament for... Um, for what they've been doing and what they've been um, allowing to happen all these years. And it just, there was this great crossover between the themes of the show and what I was seeing in the newspaper every day. So it was just a really um, inspiring kind of impetus to write songs. and For sure. And so important. Yeah. Yeah. It just felt really, really relevant. I was like, God, I just, all these women's voices are just rising up and there's just so, there's so much as, as, I guess since the Me Too movement, like this volume has just gotten louder and louder of all these women's voices about all these experiences that they've never felt um, like they could give voice to and never felt mm. like anybody would really listen. And now they're going, yeah, well, that happened to me too. And, yeah, I wasn't okay with it. And um, Totally. I thought that that was really great and inspiring. And as a mum of a three-year-old daughter, I was like, yes, let's um, – Let's get this out there. Let's, you know, let's make this better for our children. God, I hope it gets better. I mean, I do feel like it's um, it's moving yeah. um, in the positive direction, but obviously it's still... I mean, we've come a long, we've come a long way from, you know, yeah. 40 years ago. It's huge. Like we've, we're like, as a woman, our, our lives are unrecognisable from what they were, you know, back then. So that's true. But there's still, unfortunately, like in the music industry, and I know that I don't want to um, 
linger on this too much because it's been talked about a lot and we all know that you know music industry can be very male dominated and um, and sexism happens but it's getting to a point that's much much better well I think in every industry you know women are now realizing that like the and 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 men too like everybody's realizing that the climate is is changing and the culture is changing and that it's okay it's not okay to do certain things now um mm. in fact it's never been okay and if they continue to happen then someone's going to be held accountable which is a huge yeah. a huge difference because it used to be that people could get away with these things and know that they wouldn't be held accountable so that's it that's great and yeah there's this there's, there's just more and more women in the in the music industry every year you know it just yeah it's one of those great. things where I, I feel like young girls feel completely um confident and able to to do whatever they want now like there's so many women becoming lighting operators and crew yeah. and and sound engineers and you know just the more that more that young girls see that the more that they feel like it's a legitimate job for them to do when they grow up so it's really cool it is really lovely and i think something that is really obvious about you and your touring um, that was really obvious to me from the start when I um, when I started seeing you play was that you surround yourself with people that are good people, not only amazing musicians, but really like supportive and wonderful people. Because mm. I know, you know, I'd say most of your band um, and just, you know, like Zoe and Lani and Cameron and Jane mm. and Maddie and all these people that are like ultimately like just really beautiful conscientious people as well as being absolutely kick-ass at their instruments and voices exactly and you know the majority of the majority of people in our industry are awesome amazing yeah beautiful people you know and so you've just got to choose you got to choose those people and you got to surround yourself with people who are really really good good hearted people and also great company I mean everyone in my band is so hilarious those those girls are just so much fun. <laughs> Lani Stone is just fucking hilarious. Oh my God, she cracks me up. The stories that she yeah. tells on the road, it says everyone in the band going, oh my God, I can't believe you just told that. I can't believe that's not something that you keep a secret. <laughs> just time and time again, it's like, oh wow, that is amazing. But isn't that lovely as like someone who wears their heart on their sleeve yeah, um, makes so you wear great. your heart on your sleeve. Exactly. And yeah. then then you have that amazing connection. There's more girls in our band than there are. So there's only two guys in our band and there's yeah. four girls. So um, it's so funny watching the guys blush in the, van, the band, especially <laughs> Lee on drums. He's just like, oh, my God, girls are disgusting. <laughs> like the shit that we talk about. It's like constantly talking about, it. you know, our vaginas and just all manner of things. Um, they're, they're completely outnumbered. So they're just like sitting sitting in the back going, whoa, I had no idea that this was what it, <laughs> what it was like being in like a band with mostly it. girls. I love it because I've only ever been in bands with mostly boys. So yeah. I've never had well, that Well, me too, my whole and- life. That's why it's just so refreshing now I mean the guys in my band I absolutely adore like brothers as well but it's just it's kind of wonderful to have that dynamic shift a little bit now and just be like yeah that just definitely the the estrogen is the dominant (laughs) (laughs) hormone on the road I love it (laughs) how do you go with talking about what your songs are about because I think 
there's so many of your songs where you're very vulnerable and you're very honest and you talk about your feelings about things very openly and honestly, which is super lovely and refreshing. And I think that's why a lot of people connect to your songs. Mm. But do you ever keep things secret? Because I feel like you are you are like that kind of heart on sleeve. Yeah, I'm pretty hard on sleeve. I think um, for a, for ages I was when I was a bit cagey about my sexuality. I was really like, oh, mm. I don't want to say which songs are about a girl and which songs are about a guy. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I used to be, but now I'm pretty much like, oh, I don't know, whatever you want to know, really. I don't, I don't talk about specifics so much so that I would kind of out the other person as in like yes like call them by the name or or say anything that would make that would um I guess kind of ruin their privacy because it's not I mean they didn't choose for me to write a song about them so it's not fair if I'm just like this is about this person and you know and and they live (laughs) and they're a cunt And nobody should ever speak to them because this is what they did to me on the 1st of October, 1999. Um, yeah, that's not quite fair. It's, I mean, it's already yeah. bad enough, like exes of mine would be like, you don't understand what it's like, Missy. I walk into the fucking supermarket and there's a song playing about me. Like, I want to move on from this relationship and there's a song telling me how much of an arsehole I was every single time <laughs> I, I walk into a shop. So I'm like, okay, that would, that would suck. That's kind of it. That's quite, a good revenge, though. It is, yeah. I'm like, well, don't be a cunt and you won't have a song written <laughs> about you. It's your fault. <laughs> yeah, I think there's um, there's definitely something funny about um, being, I suppose, almost public property. Like you're you're so ubiquitous that people can't escape it if even if they wanted to. Like I have, um, not that I've ever tried to escape from you, but <laughs> I had a really intense uh, dental procedure done uh, a couple of years ago and um, they were playing your album while I was getting it done. Oh, my God. So now you associate that album with just pain, just a little deep, bit. deep pain. You mustn't have thought when you were making an album like, this is going to be played while someone is in a dental chair having, you know. Um, well, that's exactly what I imagined when I wrote my second album, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I just want someone to have their mouth pried open on a stranger. <laughs> Yank out their teeth. Did you ever have to um, process that, you know, becoming ubiquitous feeling? Um, I guess over the years, the more and more people that tell me about such personal experiences that they now have like um just like wound up my song with and it's just like bound forever as the song that represents this for them it kind of like hearing story after story about that like you know you know that my this song was played at their father's funeral or this song Mm. you know helped their child you know feel okay when they're in hospital or their help like it's it's incredible how we um just bond with songs so strongly sometimes that you cannot hear that song without going back like f- almost physically like feeling what it was like to be back in time um so the more i hear that the more i realize wow like these songs just aren't mine anymore after i let them out into the world i mean they're mine as well as everyone else's I guess it's like now I share them with millions of people and everybody has their own meaning attached and their own memories and stories and yeah they just become they take on a life of their own but do you think about the other side where people are like oh not her again 
I try not to. Thanks for reminding me. Um, <laughs> I just, I've talked to people about this. Like I know Bernard Fanning said like he moved out into the country basically because Powderfinger were so everywhere that it was really – he understood the backlash, you know. And yeah. I'm not aware of a backlash against you, but I, I do understand that that's something that the artist has to deal with. Yeah, it's – I mean – I think for a long time, well, Scar was the, you know, that was my big hit. And for a long time, I had this really kind of resentful relationship with that song because I was like, oh, God, it's just everywhere and I don't even want to play it anymore. I can't relate Mm. to, you know, what I wrote it about and I don't even like it and all that kind of stuff. Um, So I think that was like, that was an interesting period because I could, I, I was also projecting onto everyone else that everyone else was probably sick of that song. And um, yeah. I went out, I'd had this horrible relationship when in my early 20s where this, the guy I was dating was, was really um, mean about my songs and just used to kind of, um, you know, after we broke up, he texted me like abusive texts for about a year about um, how just embarrassing my songs were and and you know however all of his friends thought so too and all this kind of stuff it was so so damaging yeah so I I had really really low confidence in my music for a a very long time after that um but I think now that well that song in particular I've I've grown to love again because I think it's kind of gone full circle like I think that everyone probably was sick of it for a while but then now it's just it now it's this fun song that we play at shows that brings people back to this time ages ago you know probably yeah. well god it was almost like 20 years ago now so it's like old enough to be nostalgic now and a bit and a bit fun and everyone still remembers the words at the at the shows and um i can really appreciate it for what for what it is because enough time has passed i guess that's lovely what about when you sing about, because you're obviously like very passionate about lots of different causes. Mm. Do you ever think about, um, you know, the Dolly Parton way where she's like, you know, if you want to stay in showbiz, you need to keep your mouth shut and she doesn't really have strong opinions about Oh, you about, mean politically. Like, politics. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've never really... I've never really followed that. I, I reckon that she does that because she's got so many right-wing followers yes. <laughs> because she's a oh, country sure. music artist. Um, so yeah. she's like, that would be 90% of my fan base if yeah. I came out and said that I, you know, voted for Obama. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think from the get-go I felt like my fan base was pretty pretty on board with my politics or at least they understood that that's probably where I came from like I didn't feel like Mm. um I don't particularly feel like that I would turn that many people offside if I was to suddenly you know be aligned with the greens or whoever yeah Yeah, uh, to me it's such a big part of who I am I feel so um I feel so strongly about social and political issues and I do feel like it's it would be such a waste of my platform to just be quiet about it Mm. it's just it plays too strongly on my conscience to stay quiet and um that's what a lot of my songs are about too so yeah you know it would just feel like I hadn't used my life properly or to to the you know I, I hadn't um 
taken advantage of everything that I could in my lifetime if I just kind of yeah just said oh, I'm just a song and dance lady <laughs> you know don't ask me about anything going on in the world just listen to my music that would seem do you worry about it though do you ever go oh I, maybe I shouldn't have said that or maybe um maybe more people would like my music or like my um yeah my output if I wasn't political or if I wasn't an activist not really I'm pretty I'm very happy with the amount of people that listen to my music to date so I'm not I'm not worried that yeah no I'm not worried about that the probably the thing that I'm most worried about is accidentally not being woke enough in an interview or a comment or something oh yeah I feel that all the time which I feel like yeah I feel like a lot of people are like did I am I am I allowed to say that anymore or am I you know am I allowed to say something that's like um you know standing up for my male friends or is that just like not done you're not allowed to be you know so yeah there's there's a lot of pathways that I feel like are very treacherous to walk down at the moment and I just like tiptoe down just trying to say it in the right way so that I don't get bloody cancelled accidentally (laughs) I get that fear a lot too especially I mean even around things like streaming it's such a like yeah tippy toe topic at the moment and mm. um and an ethic real ethical issue that's coming up a lot yeah uh, yeah i find that stuff really uh treacherous to walk it's through really as well. scary because there's this whole like infinite platform of faceless people that can just ruin your career and it yeah. may it may just be one person who's a little bit you know um, mentally unstable at the time and decides to get on their high horse and then do, does something that gets viral and then, you know, most of the people who get on the bandwagon don't really even know the original story or what happened. Like That's you so just true. see it happen left, right and centre. It's like it's really nobody gets to fight back anymore. Nobody gets to um, say their piece. There's no kind of back and forth that happens. It's just like nope. The public have decided you don't get to you don't get to have any excuses or um or have your say. It's just like you're gone. And also, like I mean, with the streaming thing, you know, it's so admirable of people like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell to take their music off Spotify. But the reality of an Australian artist is that a lot of us don't have that currency. Yeah, it would be pretty difficult for Australian artists to take their music off the platform. Um, because that is it's such a massive platform like it's the way that that songs are heard yeah um, most of the time so yeah I just you know it's probably the right thing to do and it's probably the right thing to stop giving those guys money or that guy money um, yeah ethically but on the other hand it's also like oh man it's you know what those guys like Joe Rogan He's gonna keep going. He's so powerful of that course. no matter where he goes, he's gonna keep saying like, "We, you can't just shut them down." It's it's people are listening to him and they really like what he has to say. And um, obviously, he's appealing to a lot of people out there. And I don't like. I just it's it's treading a very fine line of of, of censorship. Yeah, I yeah. Let's go back to the EP. I'd, I really would love to talk to you more about. Um some of the songs I think my favorite on your sorry I called it an EP again how the mini you? album how dare you um your your mini album um I loved the song the collector 
Thanks. Um, like the the backing vocals and the percussion mm. really stood out to me on that song. Mm. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you came up with it, how you wrote it? Um, yeah, well, they gave me a scene in the show, which was um, it was early on in the the first episode, I think, actually, where um, they wanted this really kind of um, rambunctious, kind of rock and rolly. Um, angry, revengey song um, in a scene where she had, because she's an, um, obviously an Indigenous woman and she walks into the post office and the post office worker is really um, um, dismissive and rude and racist to her and she just gives him this look like, oh, no, you didn't. You didn't just say that. Um, and she <laughs> walks out of there. She says something um, to him um, and walks out of there and you can, she just has this look in her face like, man, that guy's going down. Um, and she's just got so, she's just got so much built up resentment because of all the men who've ever spoken to her like that before, you know. Um, so I wanted to write a, yeah, I wanted to kind of just have fun with that and write a real revenge song about someone that's just like, you know, you don't realise, but I'm keeping tabs on all you dudes and I'm going to come back and collect my rent <laughs> one day. Um, That's great. And, yeah, I just I think I just wrote it on on guitar and with a really, like, just like with, like, one string. And I produced this record with Brendan Love from the Teskies. And we just got in and did some stompy clap thingies with a whole bunch of rad women um Great. including um the may sisters and um claire bowditch and ansley wills um sarah belkner who i tour with um yeah. and yeah it was it was just really fun it was like just a whole lot of women getting really fierce and loud and stomping amazing in and lee was doing percussion and i think actually he used his shoe on a like a a rubbish bin um, for part of that percussion, which was pretty funny. And we're looking at in the, bo- the booth and going, are you using a shoe right now? It's like, yeah. I'm like, sounds awesome. Sounds so good. Yeah. And it's very fun to play live, that song too. Yeah, I bet. Mm. Yeah. Do you still, do you have enough people on, I mean, I guess you do have quite a lot of people on stage to do like the yeah, well, percussion I've got, and Yeah, Lani and Sarah and Zoe. Um, yeah. And then... They, we and we all stand up the front together, and then um, yeah, Cam and Lee are at the back doing the just the guitar. Great. It's just guitar and drums basically. Oh, it's so good. Thank you. Can we talk a little bit about songwriting? Because I'm so interested in people that because I'm the kind of keyboard player that is very often surprised by where my hands go. So I I, know, I very rarely know what it's going to sound like unless it's like a major chord. Mm. But are you the kind of player that can still be surprised of uh, where your hands go? Or do you always know what it's going to sound like? Um, I do find that my hands often go to a place that they've been to a million times before and I'm constantly trying to um, to change that. Like I'm constantly like, just don't think about where they go. But it's like it's muscle memory. So often that's why I write on different instruments like the guitar or the ukulele because I'm not as I, I, with the guitar and the uke I'm I'm really like 
especially the, the ukulele. I have no idea what anything is. So I often yeah. come up with a chord that I'm like, ooh, that sounds good. Ooh. <laughs> um, but, yeah, with, with piano I have to consciously choose something different. Otherwise, yeah, my hands go to the same old place, which is really boring. So you can't really surprise yourself on the piano anymore? Not really. I guess when I go into a real state of flow, like I really love just sitting down and just playing, you know, just for an hour, just improvising and um, getting all like circular and repetitive and Philip Glassy. And that's sometimes I'll like move one finger and then I go, ooh, that's turned into something really interesting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it, it takes a bit You should of... make a Philip Glassy album. Well, uh, when I, in my 20s, when I had a massive existential crisis and decided I didn't want to do music anymore, I I was going to. Like, I wrote so many songs like that. But I was in such wow. a bad, depressed state that I didn't write any of it down or record any of it. I was like, fuck the Damn. world, this is just for me. And I just, like, I came up with these, like, really, really long, complex compositions and... I mean, I probably did record them somewhere on something, but God knows where it is. But I realised also that it was so uncommercial and probably unpalatable to anyone else that I just, I didn't have the confidence to ever put out anything like that or turn it into anything. So it was super abstract stuff. Oh, I would love to hear it. <laughs> I would love to hear it. That I think that would be really exciting. Yeah. Just do like a weird avant-garde project on the side you could even call it something else you know I know yeah it would be pretty great I mean I I do love listening to that kind of piano music but I think at the time it was it represented something that was just for me you know because I was so um it's just kind of so bitter and resentful about you know the fact that music I felt had just been yanked away from me by this corporate you know musical um, corporate, you know, stru- structures and entities, and I was like, I'm just, mm. I'm just a cog in the wheel, you know. Like all they care about yeah. is money and blah blah blah. Um, and I just felt like I needed to do that in order to just remember why I started doing music in the first place. It wasn't for anyone else; it was just for me. Yeah. Um, so I think ultimately it was good for my soul. Yeah, that sounds so comforting. Yeah. What um, what made you? then come back what made you love music again um well I'd I'd had so long away from it I'd I'd gone to uni I'd studied Australian Indigenous Studies and I had found that really interesting but also like just really like using that part of my brain again um yeah also the the rigidity of of um like formal education you know having to footnote everything I found so boring and not able to (laughs) not able to write anything that was an opinion it was like everything has to be factually checked and you know have you know citation evidence cited and and yeah I just I was like oh god I just want to write I just want to write I wanted to write creatively I think um which wasn't really allowed um but when I had done that for a couple of years I I don't know, I was still really unhappy and really lost. And then I was approached by Sarah McLaughlin to do Lilith Fair in America. Um, and she was, yeah, just a huge idol of mine, such an inspiration when I was young. And I found out who else was going to be on the bill, like 
um, Tegan and Sarah and Indigo Girls, who were another huge inspiration to me. And I, yeah, I'd, on a whim, I was just like, well, yeah, I can't say no to Sarah McLaughlin. So <laughs> I went over there and just started playing these shows. And I just, yeah, I just realized how much I'd missed music and how easily it came to me compared to anything else yeah. that I was ever going to be able to do in my life. Um, That's a good realization. Like, yeah. I'm actually good at this. Yeah, I'm good at this. And to be good at anything else in the same way, I'd have to do so much study and so much work and and even then I think that I was kind of born to do this like I have a talent to do this I'm not sure if I have a born talent to do anything else um so it just kind of makes sense sometimes people don't find that thing ever you yeah. know you're so lucky yeah. you found that thing and and really young and of course it's going to be a journey of ups and downs and mental mm. breakdowns and um revelations but yeah, I think I just had to reclaim it, you know, for myself. I just had to, I had to go away and tell all the, the businessmen to, to stay away from me for a few years and, and make my way back to music in my own time and in my own way. Yeah. And, and it worked. I mean, I kind of didn't really release anything else in America after that. And they left me alone. Because they only care about you if you just kind of keep on going and keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. Like um, Brandy Carlisle was doing it at the same time as me. We were kind of on the same circuit. Oh and wow! She was just she would just would keep going and keep going, and and I kept looking at her schedule and it was kind of similar to mine. But then when I stopped, she kept going, and I was like, "How does she do that? <laughs> mm. Like, what? She must just live on the road." And yeah, I don't know. Some people are just more. They have more energy and they're more driven. I wasn't driven enough. I didn't really care about success enough. I cared a little bit, but not enough to keep doing that. Do you worry about younger artists that are forced to be part of this machine? Sometimes, but then it's hard to know. I mean, unless I unless I was to speak to them and they and and hear them say, "I'm really not doing this the way that I want to do it." How would yeah. I? I can't assume that they're not doing things exactly the way they want to do it. Even if I look I at their so. career and go, "Ooh, I wouldn't have made that choice," you know, yes. maybe that's maybe that was up to them. So, I would never assume. But um, yeah, I just I whenever I speak to any young artist, like whenever they want to chat to me, which I'm always open to, I just say, "Remember, remember to trust yourself in every decision because there's always people that are going to tell you not to." Or they're going to tell yeah. you that they think they know what's best for you. But always, always listen to your instinct. Yeah, and also remember why you're doing it. Because I, I still do this, you know, I, I haven't made an album in ages and I just, just finished writing an album and I've been finding it really difficult to do all of the post-album stuff and it's taken, it's taken me a little while to remember that the making of the album is why I love music, you know, mm. like... All yeah. of the stuff that goes around the industry and trying to get, you know, find a know, label or trying to, it's fucked. It's yeah. so shit. It's like the, it's the business side of it that when you become an artist, you never imagine that you're going to have to do because yeah. it's like the antithesis of being a creative. Yeah. <laughs> like but having of course to think, you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's another part of your brain. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of just, it, it taints the work a bit. It does. Um, so that's yeah that's definitely a that's the hardest bit is trying to like consciously um you know divide your brain into yeah business side and creative side and try to 
try to protect the creative side from the other side as much as possible. Yeah. Something that I am interested in is, um, you know, longevity and being someone who's, you know, late 30s and thinking about the next 10 years of your life. Do you have any idols that are maybe 10 years further on that you can look up to 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 think, well, maybe that is what I want to do. That is where I want to be. Or do you have to forge out your own path that if you can't see it, you can't be it um, kind Um, of thing? Can you see it? I can see it. I mean, there's plenty of – it's all around me, really. I mean, Casey Chambers is doing an amazing job of it. She's always releasing albums and touring and, um, you know, Mm. she's got – kids and a family too and she seems really she's so full of life and energy and she's always doing new things and um you know working with new artists and um yeah I mean there really is plenty around me but I've, I've never really been one to to get um to really fixate on another artist as my idol I think for me the number one thing is to be happy so whatever form that takes and I would I would just really like to stay active as a musician you know I'd like to just keep on making live music I don't have to do it every year sorry not live music recorded music yeah and playing live but I don't have to do it as fast as I used to I've I've definitely slowed down but I feel like I'm at a good I'm at a pretty good pace now I'm like every now and then I just get inspired to do another project and then put that out and yeah. do the festival circuit and a tour of my own shows and then live life for another couple of years and then, um, you know, something else will come my way. I feel like I've got enough um, interesting creative people around me that I'm always in contact with that, you know, we can we can always collaborate and come up with something and I'll always feel like I have something to say it just might it might take a while to figure out what that is but that's okay yeah and you know and your priority isn't 100% music anymore like you've got family that has to take precedent no and that's that's good I think like my priority was music all through my 20s and um that was great but now I'm on to yeah, it's like another project. It's a long game. Well, very long, t- very very long term project. Um, this is the project that never ends. Why didn't anyone tell me? I'm sure you're project managing the shit out of it. <laughs> yeah, God, I try. Yeah, I've had to become a very good scheduler. Let me tell you. Oh, I bet. Well, maybe that's that like business side of your brain coming out. Well, it is. It is good in that way because I don't have much free time at all. So it's like when I do, I really am very grateful for it, and I make I really make the most of it. Great. Like when I was writing for this um, TV show, Total Control, it was during all the lockdowns when the kids were at home. So I have no idea how I made time for yeah, it. Yeah, how did you but do that? I think because I. I was working for someone else and they had, they were on a strict deadline. So I was like, yeah. I've got to do it like this, you know, and TV is so that they're always um, very, very strict about their deadlines too. Yeah. So I was like, I have to have this song in by tomorrow. So you just make it work. Like you call in the cavalries and, you know, I did a lot while the kids were asleep and my, my boy was at kinder. Was he at kinder? I can't remember. 
or maybe they were all watching TV. Maybe they just watched a lot of TV. That's <laughs> yeah. quite possible too. Um, totally fine. But either way, it's like do what if you, you really do. need to make something happen, you make it happen and then you're very creative in a very small amount of time and it just, yeah, you make it work. There's nothing like a bit of deadline pressure. Yes. <laughs> I react quite well to deadline pressure too. But do yeah. you, I know I've heard you say that you find it hard to um, – come up with songs if you if you do it on a like nine to five type work schedule I do because that's way too much time yeah um yeah I think I need like like two or three hours a day and that's that's it and then you can leave each song at a really good place so you never kind of finish anything so you've got somewhere to pick up the next day that's how I work best that's the secret like a small amount of time to just stay in that place that creative yep. place so it doesn't die out um but yeah when I had no no kids and nothing else to do it was way too much time yeah way too much thinking time and way too much ruminating time and yeah I got way too inside my own head I need some sort of structure some sort of parameters to work within and so with these songs on your mini album do you <laughs> do you feel like mini um album. <laughs> <laughs> you you were sort of forced to let them go. I find that a really difficult part of the process is letting go of songs because, as you said, you ruminate, you, fi- you fix that bit, you change that bit. But with these mm. songs, did you have like, okay, that's it and that, no more revision? Well, yeah, I guess because I was working for someone else, I, I would just send it and see what they thought. And if they thought it was great, I was like, okay, cool. You know, like it didn't feel like it was mine. I just wanted to make them happy yeah but then when I was but then when it came time to expand the songs and make them about something so much bigger and and make them worthy of an album um that was when I spent a lot of time on them and really and put a lot of thought behind them and you know I would send them to my manager occasionally I'd be like what do you think of this ending I feel like it's not quite working and and he'd just say something really very simple like yeah, I feel like maybe it, you know, maybe you need a chord change like to something more major or something at the end or something yeah. maybe not even that specific, but like just a tiny little comment and I'd be like, yeah, okay, and I'd go back and I'd oh, come up with a whole new idea and it was so helpful and I would send that to him and then he'd be like, yeah, that's totally working. So it it was this, um, yeah, it was this great kind of immediate feedback that I could get yeah. from him by emailing him stuff and... It's um, almost like an oblique strategy. Have you ever used those? But, um, no. Brian Eno has these. Uh, this deck oh, the of little cards, cards yeah. that give you a yeah, I and they're always like fix the hole or like try it backwards or like something really like yeah. obviously like oblique. Um, and I, I yeah. sometimes I find those idea. really interesting because you're like, yeah. what, what does that mean for me? You know, you can like read anything yeah. into it. Do you sometimes read it though and go, Fuck, this this guy hasn't even heard my song? <laughs> like, dude, you haven't even heard my song. <laughs> what kind of advice is this? I suppose it's good. Like, I have uh, I have to admit that sometimes I've um I've gone not that one and like yeah. I picked up a card yeah. and gone no that one doesn't make any sense for this song. But then the next yeah. one might be like, um you know take out the middle and then you're like oh, okay, yeah, I'll try that. And then that changes something and yeah. shifts into something else. Yeah, it just gives um, you things to try. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, I want to ask you my last question, which is mm-hmm. the question that I ask everybody. 
Um, oh, can you yes. tell me what is your strangest show experience or the strangest thing that's happened to you because you play music? I feel like the strangest thing that's happened to me is this lady in America that became very fixated on me and started sending me rocks. What? Like she'd send me rocks, rocks to every show. <laughs> and I'm not just like talking like one beautiful little kind of crystal rock or something. I'm talking like an entire box full of rocks, like normal rocks, <laughs> like rocks that you would just find walking down a path along, you know, in a park or something. Um, wow. And huge, like nine page written letter, handwritten letters explaining the meaning of the rocks and how and each one individually like what this means to her and and where she found it and um whoa and why she wanted to give it to me and yeah so they can't like and they'd be sent to every venue that I played in in America holy Um, shit and then I got this job um on a cruise ship in the Bahamas um, (laughs) uh playing to to all the people once they'd um, engorged themselves on the buffet, they came down to watch a bit of live music by the um, spa. (laughs) And um, sounds amazing. Yeah, it was pretty bizarre and incredible. Um, But when I arrived in my hotel room the first night when we were far out at sea, sea, I found a rose and a little letter from her inside my room. Saying that no. she was on the ship. <gasps> no. And she can't wait to see me and she knows that I've been thinking about her too. Oh, my and, God. You know, she can't wait till we're finally together. I was like, oh, my God. How did she get in here? How did she even get on this ship? Oh, my God. Get on a lifeboat. Um, <laughs> Paddle away. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What happened? Um, did you meet her? Nothing ended up happening on the ship. I, I ended up. We did one one little. I did one little gig on this island for all the people when they had like a day trip on the island, and I saw her just kind of um, hovering in the background, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's oh. that girl!" I'd brought a friend with how me. How did you so, know it was her? Um, because how did I know? Oh, because in one of her letters, she'd mentioned um, meeting me um, at the merch stand after one of my shows. And I was like, Oh, "Oh, that was that girl. And she said, we had a talk and I knew you could feel the chemistry too. And I know, I knew that you were thinking, you know, that this is love and blah, blah, blah. Oh "Oh, my God, that girl. So I knew what she looked like. And then, um, and then when I got back to Australia, um, the letters started coming by my record company. She got the address of my record company. More rocks. And she started saying, no rocks to Australia. It must have been Very too expensive. expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where, yeah, that's where the, her budget limit um, started. But she kept writing these letters and saying things to me like, I've told my wife that I'm going to leave her for you. And no. she's always, been, she's always um, you know, tried to talk me out of my, my love for you. And um, she's always been you know, really understanding, but I'm, I think now, you know, this is going to be hard for her. And, and I read this and I was just like, Oh my God, I've got to tell this person. I've got to tell them that's not going to happen. Yeah. And I never, never usually would write back to people like that, but I wrote back this letter just basically saying, look, this is never going to happen. I, there was never any connection. Your wife sounds amazing. Like yeah. she's sound from what she said in the letter, she's really put up with a lot of very obsessive behavior. Oh yeah. 
So I was like, um, you need to stay with your partner because she sounds incredible and um, you need to forget about me. Please never write to me again kind of thing. Um, and she never wrote to me again. <gasps> Whoa. So that's, the, that's the rock lady story. Oh, my gosh. What did you do with the rocks? Oh, I just left them at the venues, to yeah. be honest. I mean, we were traveling super light at the time. <laughs> I was not going to take boxes of random rocks with me everywhere. Whoa, that's a crazy story. Yeah. Oh, she, you know bit... what? She did send me some rocks to Australia, but it was like five or six small ones. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah. Whoa, wee. That is yep. intense. Yeah. And so lovely that you, it sounds like you wrote her a really lovely response and you're very clear, which is. I tried necessary. to be, yeah. Like I tried to, I didn't want to be mean, but I also wanted yeah. her to, to really get the message because she was clearly deluded. So I really wanted her to, I, I really wanted there to be no gray area. Yes. Um, I, you know, that's kind of why I said, please never contact me again. Yeah. Which is, it's all pretty heartbreaking, really. It is. It's very sad. Mm. But the rocks, mm. I love, they're slightly comical because rocks are rocks. Rocks. And- Rocks. Yeah. They're rocks. <laughs> rocks. Just rocks. <laughs> Just brown, grey rocks. I like that part of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we've ended on a slightly sad note now. <laughs> That's right. It's all we right. had some good laughs. We did. Just remember the good times. Yeah. It was so lovely to see you. And thank you so much for making the time. I'm really excited for um, the release of the mini album. Thank you. Thanks so much. <laughs>